I want to thank you for being a listener of the Garlic Marketing Show. And to do that, I want to help you make 2017 your company's best year ever. I want to help you create a video marketing strategy to help you really stand out with your marketing, connect with your ideal customers at a deep level. And I want to make sure that you enter every marketing project with a clear purpose and a clear outcome. And I want to do that for free. Yeah, I want to help you stop guessing and start using our proprietary video marketing strategy. And I'm going to do this by giving you a video course. It's the same planning that we've used to help grow hundreds of businesses. And I'm giving it away for free for listeners until January 7th, 2017. So if you want to get the video course, go to iangarlic.com slash 2017 and get the nine video course and make this the best year ever. You can also click in the show notes. Just click on the image and you'll see a link in the show notes that'll take you to there and take you to the video course. I look forward to helping you. If you have any questions, please go to my Facebook page and let me know how I can help you create your video marketing strategy for 2017. In a world full of boring stories, bad videos, and marketing misinformation, one very tall man with a weird last name will use his microphone. Is this thing on? Use his video marketing knowledge the red button, right? and use his friends Please be on the show. to change that. You are listening to the Garlic Marketing Show with Ian. What? No, that's how you pronounce it. Well, if you say so, your host, Ian Garlic. Welcome to another episode of the Garlic Marketing Show. I am Garlic here, and we have an amazing marketer. Uh, man, she got it. You know, what's amazing is she managed to get high school kids to read Beowulf and like it. But after that, she helped with uh, some interesting uh, video distribution and has since gone on to work with brands like Stars. Mattel and Nintendo. Deborah Katz, thank you for being on. Hello. Hello. Good to be here. Awesome. I'm so excited to talk to you because of your background and also you do some really cool stuff that a lot of people don't know about, but it's it's very high-level marketing. Um, so tell me a little bit about Prescient Marketing, your, your marketing firm. What do you do? So Prescient Marketing really came out of... Um, I'd spent a couple of years doing uh, as the director of e-commerce for a fashion portfolio, and it was a fairly small business, and I prefer working in smaller teams. So coming from you know teams like Mattel, which was a great experience, but I really liked being more hands-on with makers. However, when you're the director of e-commerce at a small company, you realize you're wearing all the hats, you have no time to do strategy. And, um, and I really didn't want to do that anymore because I got tired. Um, so I thought I would be better served. You know, they can take a salary like mine and hire two boots on the ground people and retain me as a consultant to help with strategy while having enough hands on deck to build out what they needed and scale to grow. And I realized this is kind of a fun model. So now I'm sort of a, a strategist for hire for small uh, to medium sized businesses that work in the CPG world. And, um, and I provide e-commerce strategy, digital marketing strategy, a lot of brand guidance and value proposition, loyalty programs. And by working with me at a fairly reasonable retainer, they've got headcount budget left over to hire the people to execute and they can have larger scale teams to grow. Interesting. That's, it's a great model. I love that. 
Uh, for those who don't know, what is CPG? So CPG is consumer packaged goods. I, uh, I came from the home entertainment industry, DVD, may it rest in peace. <laughs> um, so I've always, you know, made my, my bread and butter selling things to people. And um, how is that different? So you worked with big brands and then yes. you worked with small businesses. Mm -hmm. how, how is marketing for them different? How is your strategy different? Well, you know, the, the big brands like Mattel has access to all the tools. You have all the research, all the insights, all the data. You know, if you want to make a, a, an enterprise investment in a different analytics platform just for fun, you can, um, <laughs> <laughs> which we did. Um, at smaller businesses, you're working with, you know, whatever's free from Google Analytics. You're just maybe figuring out how to use Google Tag Manager, but you maybe don't have the resources to do it. You don't know the tools that are out there and, and you can't scale with the giants because you just don't have the business intelligence they have. So, you know, what I try to do is aggregate as many tools and as much business intelligence under my wheelhouse as I can to give people a little more access without having to pay those licensing fees themselves. Fantastic. That, yeah, those tools are so important. And also <laughs> having someone that knows how to use them. Right. Because and the competitive research, which they often don't have time to do and don't have visibility to. Yeah, competitive research, I mean, especially for products, is so mm -hmm. critical. Um, if, if When it comes to those tools, the marketing mm -hmm. tools, if I'm a small uh, CPG, um, it, what is the main tool that you would spend money on? What's the first tool that you would spend money on? Email. A good day in email, if you're a direct-to-consumer business, a good day in email is a good day for your business. So a strong email platform where you can segment and automate and start to learn a little bit more about your audience and learn a little bit more about their behavior um, will start to give you those insights that will educate you as to what you need next. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So a, a good email platform. You know, everybody starts with MailChimp and MailChimp's a nice place to start. Um, I would say that secondarily to that is a, an e-commerce platform that can work with your email platform. There are a lot of folks on, you know, I love Shopify. I'm a big Shopify fan. I'm a big fan of Magento because they're well supported. They're broadly adapted for use with a lot of tools. If you're on something that's a little more niche or a little bit more um, fringe, you're going to find that you don't have access to those integrations that you need to get that intelligence. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because it's, it's amazing how people start off with that that fringe stuff and then yes. are scared to move. But how much yes. how much more money can you make investing in those two things, email and being on a good platform? And right. it's much easier to migrate than folks think. I think people think that migrating their platform is going to be this big scary process. The truth is, those those standard platforms like you know demand demand where it's fairly pricey, but a standard you know out of the box Shopify experience you can migrate onto and six to eight weeks, their out-of-the-box cart converts at an exceptionally good rate. Um, and just changing that conversion rate, I find for 80% of my clients, just optimizing their cart a little bit can double their revenue almost immediately. Oh man, that's that's a great tip. And uh, you know, and so I know a lot of people don't think about that, right? They don't right. think about optimizing the cart. They think about traffic, traffic, traffic. Right. Right. And often the more traffic you get, the less qualified it is. So then they're like, I have 20,000 more people, 40,000 more people, and, and I'm not selling as much. And I'm like, well, because your cart stinks. You're spending all this money getting people in the door. You don't have a cash register. That's, yeah. Oh, man. 
so so important and so don't buy a billboard before you have a cash register (laughs) (laughs) i love that (laughs) and so many people want to do that you know and it's so many people go straight to traffic they go straight to traffic and they think traffic's going to solve all of their problems but it doesn't and you it's the unsexy stuff that solves your problems well it's of all the things you know we talk about four things that can double your business you know Mm -hmm. it's traffic it's traffic, then actually becoming a lead, then that conversion, and then the frequency of the right. of the people buying, mm-hmm. um, and how, well, and how much they spend, um, and all the other things are easier to change than leads. Right? Absolutely, <laughs> right. Well, you know, if you look at how some small sort of uh, uh, pure play businesses have started and they've all eventually evolved into omni-channel because you have to, that high touch experience is necessary. Um, But if you look at companies like Warby Parker, they started with massive acquisition at the beginning. They focused on 300 to 500% customer acquisition growth in their first, you know, every six months. And then they coast on, on loyalty. So they drop, they pull back on those traffic initiatives once they have their leads, once they have their system running, once they have the behavioral data that tells them these are the folks that are going to buy again and again and again. They really pull way back on that acquisition play and they focus on loyalty and premiums and service. And that's what keeps their businesses running. And that ambassadorship, because the people they keep are so happy, that really sort of helps amplify and and provide the halo that brand marketing will do. Yeah. So... If you're getting started, you know, now we, we talk tool, what, where would, for a small business, mm-hmm. what's the first place you tell them to start working after the cart, after looking at the cart? After the cart, SEO. Yeah. SEO, especially for, for direct sales, because what a lot of folks don't realize is, you know, on-page SEO is important and they worry about their product descriptions and duplicate content and absolutely they should, but where they miss the boat is their metadata and their search engine page results, their SERPs. You know, you can look at, um, what is it called? Screaming Frog is a great place to just sort of check, like, what do I look like and how could I look better? And things like including reviews or your price will allow Google to recognize this is not just a site talking about a product. This is a site that sells a product. Um, And the other thing that people miss a lot is tagging their images, tagging their product images. And the example I always use is uh, I was searching for caftans because I was going to Hawaii and a lot of shopping behavior is image search. It's not Google search because if you're looking for a thing and I work a lot with folks in fashion, you're going to look at image search to see what are, what are cute things that I'm looking for. If you've tagged your product images correctly, that allows the customer to find you. Um, and it's often overlooked. Wow. That's, that's a great piece of information. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about video later. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I've seen a lot more people talking about video being, you know, optimizing those videos of your products and people shopping with video now. Oh, Uh, absolutely. um, Do you see a lot of that? Yeah. When we were at Mattel, we found that when we could include some video of kids playing on just our Amazon page, our Amazon sales really improved. Um, We added it to our product catalog. We had a little bit of difficulty selling direct from our kids' sites because of COPPA compliance. You can't tell a six-year-old, like, buy this Barbie. (laughs) (laughs) What you can say is, add this Barbie to your wish list and send it to your mom. (laughs) But when we started to include just a few videos, we had done videos before that was just like, here's a 360 degree view of the, of the toy. But when we included kids interacting with the toy, parents could see scale, they could see the enjoyment and it really just changed that level of engagement. It's something that Lego has been doing forever and they've really been winning in that space. 
Yeah, they tell they tell the story, the end story after the purchase. Right. Uh, you know, and, and and someone can visualize it and see, oh, happy kid. Because <laughs> I mean, that's what people are buying toys for, right? They're not buying toys because they like the toy. They want a happy child. Right. They want to see the enjoyment, the enrichment, the experience their kid will get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, it, that's important with any product, isn't it? Oh, of course. Of yeah. course. I mean, even with fashion, you find that now a lot of um, fashion retailers are moving to showing folks walking down the runway in the clothes, not just flat photos of the clothing, because they want the consumer to see how does it wear? How does it move? How might it fit on my body? Does this model have wide hips or narrow hips or big shoulders? What, what can I envision myself experiencing while wearing this? And frankly, that also helps improve return rates, because if the customer is buying in a more informed way, they're less likely to return the product. So, so let's talk about returns, because that's an interesting thing, too. Um, you know, we, we talked to our clients a lot about um, that after the sale is not the end of the sale, right? Right, right. And, and how, how can small businesses otherwise, you know, continue to market and market the, even the product that they sold to oh, increase yeah. satisfaction? How do, you, how do you do that? So I love a post-purchase automation series. And when I, when I do those automations that are not really driving to purchase, there's always a call to action and a call to engagement. That's my prioritization of messaging. So in a post-purchase series, there's some sort of call to action, right? You bought this, leave a review, uh, leave me a note, add this to your wish list, or maybe the post-purchase call to action is three months later, because I know the life cycle of this product is you're gonna buy a new one in three months, six months, nine months. Um, maybe the call to action is nine months from now, I'm gonna reach out to you and say, hey, it's a new season. I have a bedding client, right? Now you bought the spring bedding. Now it's winter, time to buy a new duvet or time to upgrade your comforter. So that's the call to action. The call to engagement is tell me how you enjoyed it. Tell me what you thought of it. Share it on social for a chance to be featured or share it on social for 10% off your next purchase if we're looking at a UGC play. Um, so that call to engagement to continue the dialogue, you're not just selling them a thing. That layer of service is really essential. And asking them, did you enjoy it? And tell me something about that makes them feel like they're valued. They're part of your process. Um, one of the things we learned when I was at the fashion portfolio was we had a customer who complained about one of our shoes and it didn't fit or it broke, something terrible happened. And we didn't really have a customer service policy in place. So we followed up with her and we explained to her that it was a production error and we thanked her profusely for bringing it to our attention and we took it to operations and they're going to fix it and the factory made a mistake and we're so appreciative and here's a new, it, you know, of course we sent her a new pair of shoes, but the message was really, we appreciate that you took the time to let us know and you've helped improve our process and improve our business. And she went all over Facebook and was like, Rocket Dog is the best. And they took care of my shoes and I helped. And, you know, they really value that even after a negative experience. Yeah. Oh, it's that's a fantastic story because that's one of the things I, I tell people to do, too, is like you take that negative experience. Not only do you provide service, but then you show how you change your company. Right. right. And now that, right. that that customer is invested in your company right. emotionally. Exactly. That, exactly. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Um, so I, I want to talk a little bit about some of your stories because you have this awesome, awesome experience and I want to hear more about it. Um, but, you know, we all talk about successes, mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of people look at to big brands and think, oh, they're, everything they have everything. So they're just always successful. Right. Um, can you tell me a story? You don't have to tell me specific companies, but like mm -hmm. sometime you, you spend a lot of money, a lot of time. 
and something flopped. (laughs) (laughs) That never happened, did it? I feel like, I feel like my my Mattel NDA, like I can feel the lawyers behind me. (laughs) 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 But since... But since it's been written about and, and, you know, gallons of ink have been spilled over some of, of Barbie's challenges, Barbie is a great example of a brand that has gone through some significant challenges. And, uh, you know, I was at Mattel during some of that time. And, you know, Barbie's a, a great brand, right? I, I loved her. I was a kid who grew up with Barbie. I wanted to tell my six-year-old self, like, guess where we are? We're in Barbie's house. But, um, but they were really challenged to explain Barbie to a new kind of millennial consumer. Millennial moms, even though we'd grown up with her, were not really embracing her for our own children. Um, and that conversation became really challenging. And I think um, there's a great story behind the Barbie brand that Mattel does not talk about enough. So we used all of our, you know, we had tons of analytics. We were a global brand. All of our global partners were coming back to us with all of their pain points and concerns. And all of that to say that the global brand was like, this is our brand. We stand by who we are. We are this specific thing. And we are going to, we are going to be honest and true to our brand. And sometimes that's the right move. In this case, it wasn't. Right. So doubling down on your brand values and your brand proposition and your value proposition and and your identity is not always the right move when the marketplace changes. So although all the tactics were strong and got a lot of notice and our attention was high, the health of the brand struggled. And so, you know, the lesson from all of that is with all the money in the world, you can't make people love you. And you have to really think about what is my consumer telling me? What is my consumer struggling with, with my brand that they need me to speak to them differently? They need me to be something else. At the end of the day, you're not selling a thing. You know, Coke is sugar water, but it's happiness. Nike is a shoe, but it's ambition. So what is the, what is the emotional hook uh, to your brand? And if it's, not, if it's not something that your consumer feels emotionally comfortable with, all the money in the world, and all the you know 18 billion social media mentions, if they're negative, are not worthwhile. And you, I'm like writing down all these quotes for you because it's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I mean, it's so it's true. And you know, when you work now, you work with small business, yeah. and I'm sure you've seen this where small business pays so much attention to brands, not realizing that you know I. I had Ron Tidon, who works with major brands like Johnson & Johnson, not realizing a lot of these times that they're handcuffed by these layers of bureaucracy. Yes. And, and that's why they do that, not because it's yeah. the best thing to do. Right. Um, so now, now with that knowledge in place, I mean, you must be excited to be working with more nimble companies. Absolutely. People are really excited to shift gears and learn. Everybody's hungry to learn. And that's what's really exciting about working with these small companies because they're great they're great makers of things, right? They're all people with a dream. They all have these great origin stories and we get to take their, you know, every, every client I have has such a cool origin story. I love them all because they're all just people who had a dream and made a product and we can take that, you know, I can take that excitement and passion, help them find the right ambassadors, help them shape their story to get everybody as excited as I am and get everybody as excited as they are. Um, But, you know, the first lesson is always, you're not selling this thing. You're selling some sort of, promise to your customer. Yes, that's so true. The promise, right? I talk right. to people about that. What's the promise? What's what's their story of what's going to happen? Right. Because, you know, in the end, the most important story is their story. It's the only right. story. 
Right. And, 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 you know, a lot of people come to us because, you know, we're, I talk a lot about story and video storytelling and I'm like, I want to tell my story. I'm like, well, you, you have to really be concerned about their story. Right. How are you going to change their life? And how are you going to change their life again and again and again? Not yes. just in that one sale. Oh, um, so what are some successes that you've had now that you've done that? What, can you tell me a specific success, especially around that storytelling? Sure. So, um, so it's really more about value proposition, but I have a client who's an entertainment client. They don't sell direct to consumer. They sub-license through iTunes and Amazon and Hulu, and everybody has a different platform that they watch videos on, right? So like recently, I cut the cord and I lo no longer have cable or satellite. I'm, <laughs> I'm on my Roku and I'm just Amazon and Netflix and, and Hulu only. So if you come to me with a direct TV offer, it's worthless because I don't care. So educating them about segmenting their audience with a better value proposition and what's important to the iTunes user versus what's important to the Amazon user versus what's important to the Hulu subscriber or the cable sat person because those audiences are wildly different. And even though you're selling the same movies to everyone, how you sell to them has to be in a different way. So coming up with that promise, not as the movie studio, but as the distributor in each of these channels. Um, so they released a very cool movie um, for the love of Spock, the documentary about. Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> and uh, we did a social media campaign that segmented their messaging and they saw some sort of like astronaut. I want to say it was something like $45,000 of sales in like a weekend on product, which was incredible. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, you, you have to tell everyone a different story. Yes. It, it, I mean, it, it has to be slightly different, and yes. that's really cool. And and, and, and and people think of a movie, it's like, oh, you just sell the movie. No, no. And video is a huge part of that. So when I was at Stars, you know, we had to cut different. You would come up with your user personas, like, you know, the the family that goes to see this movie is very different from like the group of bros who goes to see this movie. And what TV spot are you developing? Because this was back when like. TV paid off. <laughs> I'm dating myself. <laughs> right? Two, two so, years ago. <laughs> right. So, you know, what TV spot on what network, 15 seconds, 30 seconds, what's the attention span of this audience? And, you know, that message was really different. You could look at those TV spots and they would look like wildly different movies for a reason, because you're trying to get, you know, everyone who's going to respond and love this movie and evangelize for it after opening weekend needs to get in the door that first Friday. And so that video plays a huge part in creating that sense of urgency. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's so good. So you, you, we were talking before we started a little bit about some cool stuff uh, you guys are doing out there and you're talking about um, affecting people's emotions with video. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's really, again, it comes down to the message. One of the clients I'm working with right now is um, APM Music, and they do all the music licensing. So they own like the Monday Night Football theme song. And, you know, they've got everything from football to the music that plays behind that Run Like a Girl video, that viral video success of last year. They were the music behind that. And I think music is often overlooked. Music and sound effects are frequently overlooked in what drives that emotional connection, that, that impulse to go, oh, what's happening? Just you know, like a moment of silence and then a strong knock can really get everybody's attention. Um, and so, you know, it's been a real experience working with them to see 
how they segment their production library into things that go to sports, the music they send to different ad agencies. They work with a lot of trailer houses. So they have a lot of um, institutional knowledge about how music and sound informs attention in video. And I think people often forget that, you know, how important a, a role that plays. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it, it, it's so much fun talking about all this stuff. And you, I mean, you obviously have this wealth of knowledge and, and these cool stories and, and, but it's, you know, even for me, it's a little overwhelming because it's like, oh my gosh, I have so much to do. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, a lot of the small businesses, medium sized businesses might think they don't have a budget to do this and they can they never don't. get it, get it done. <laughs> so, so how do they take advantage of all this knowledge? How do you help them, you know, make sure that they're utilizing. Yeah, it's a roadmap for growth, right? You start, you know, quarter by quarter, what am I going to achieve? And where's it going to take me? So, um, you know, it's funny, I'm a small business owner, I had no investors. And my plan was I'm going to use the like, five bucks in my pocket to start my business and build it, you know, five bucks is going to lead to 10, 10 is going to lead to 20, and so on. And I, it's a weird thing to say for somebody who works in tech. I don't believe in investors. I believe in funding your own growth because that's how you know it's working and you're spending your own mm-hmm. money. And I have the same plan for my clients because you know they have investors, they have boards, fine. But I wanna know that each step they take funds the next level. So you can't do everything on day one. You start with, is my cart working? I already have traffic, you already have some traffic. Is my cart working? Am I capturing my leads? Then email, I've captured my leads. Am I bringing them back in the door? Are they telling me what they like, what they don't like? I'm learning. Then SEO, am I finding new customers based on what I know my customers want and need? And each level takes you to the next level of funding. So you create a roadmap that, you know, in 18 months gets you where you're going. Wow. That's uh, yeah. And, and that roadmap is critical. And how, how many of the businesses you talk to have anything close to that? before they talk to you. <laughs> none, of them, none of them have it. None of them have it. But so if you're listening, yes, <laughs> but if they're, if you're listening to this, it's fine not to have it, but you have to go get it. Right. You have to get some sort of roadmap, right? Um, wow. So what, um, once you get all of that done, who do you help, who do you usually put into the business? Because you being the strategist, which I think is important, right? I was actually having this conversation yesterday is someone was trying to train someone up as a strategist. I'm like, I don't, I, you, you should train them up for skills and hire a strategist outside. Um, who's the first person that you see most small businesses, especially like in the CPG, uh, need to hire as a, as a um, marketer? Who do I see that they need to hire first? Yeah, yeah, because you said you need to put people in yeah. into the companies to do, do things. So I, um, it, that's an interesting question because we put in like, you know, they, they usually only have budget, budget for one or two hands. So we put in a lot of generalists who, contrary to your point, I train into strategists because, you know, the goal is that I want my clients to graduate, you know, graduate from college and never need me again. Um, and so we try to find folks who can wear as many hats as possible, get a sense of the landscape and learn the business. And the other thing we really look for are people who, have an understanding of demand marketing and segmentation and audience. I find that those skills are the most critical and a willingness to test um, mm. and an understanding of how data works because you can't, I, you can't refine your brand if you don't know what your audience wants. You always need to be in service to the customer. And if you're not 
truly measuring what the customer is responding to, you're not going to be in service to them. So I look for folks who have a little bit more technical of a background, a little bit more interest in, in segmentation and analysis. I call it the math of marketing versus the creative of marketing. You can always hire a creative resource or a freelancer, but the math of marketing, I think, needs to be in your house. Oh, yeah. I love that. The math of marketing, it's so, I mean, I'm a math junkie too, so <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love it. I, you know, um, on a side note, I'm reading this book called Algorithms to Live By. Oh, cool. Check it out. It's it's really, really good. And like the hiring algorithm and, and like the dating algorithm, but under, uh, the, the math of it, especially these days, yeah. is so critical. Right. And, and Every to, dollar has to make four. Yeah. And to, to understand what's working and what's not. It's, but, and what's great is that you said test, but know what the results are. So, and I think those are the two things. People throw something out there, it doesn't work, and they're like, oh, that won't work ever. And right. instead of they just don't going, know why. yeah, they don't know why. So they go try and do some other new shiny object. Right. Oh. Right. KPIs are, are essential, right? What am I doing? What am I measuring? What do I expect to happen? What's my hypothesis for every KPI? And then when it's done, what worked and what didn't? Because I'll give you a stupid example. We launched a game when I was at Barbie and it was this really cute, fun game. And we knew girls were gonna love it. And we had this like crazy, terrible bounce rate, 70% bounce rate on this super fun game. And I thought, what the hell is wrong with this? And the problem was the screen, the start screen was bigger than our browser, our most common browser use case. So the start button was invisible. And when you're six, you're not really smart enough to figure out how to scroll. Even when you're not six, you're not really smart enough to figure out to scroll. And moving the button fixed it. <laughs> but you have, to, you have to know what you're testing. You have to know what you're looking at. And you have to know where your data lies to solve those problems. Wow. Yeah. And, and so, you know, the game worked. It was like one simple little thing. You never know where it's going to be. Exactly. And, and do you feel like you, you try and go into a lot of these projects Knowing everything you know, but then having to like let it go and let let go and kind of come to it like a blank slate. Well, yes, because everybody's business requirements are different. So you know, I always come in there and I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit of a ball buster, I think, where I'm like, this is what you need to do and this is how we're going to do it. But the truth is, everybody's margin requirements are different. Sometimes their priorities are not my priorities. You know, I have a customer who's really focused on brand building. I want her to sell more. She's really <laughs> focused on building her brand. Yeah, they okay, <laughs> we'll start there. Um, but we're still going to measure and we're still going to grow. And we're going to still make sure that as she grows her brand, it's in service to her business goals. Mm -hmm. So what I want to measure and what I want to grow is not always what they want to measure and grow. But... At the end of the day, it still needs to meet an objective you have as a business owner. Wow. Yeah, it, it, that's and and you have to have a, a genuine objective that serves your yes. business because you. That's one thing I got out of there that a lot of people miss too. Mm -hmm. Like they just do marketing to do marketing, right. or they, they right. want they want to build brands. And I, I get right. very, very frustrated with small businesses. I mean, there's a time to build a brand. It's, sure. it's not in the early stages. If you're not getting enough sales. <laughs> no, you can't move. You can't go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. That, and, and so many businesses think about season three, season four of their business at season one and never make it out of season one. Um, I actually had, it was funny, someone came and talked to me 
hadn't even started a business and like, well, I was just, you know, trying to develop and design the brand and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, go sell something. Right. <laughs> Figure out what your customer wants and how you can make their life better and make your brand be that. Yep. Yep. Oh, <laughs> that, I mean, that right there, if it's as simple as that, but it's, I mean, that's, it's simple, but it's difficult. How, so with, you know, we talked about in market intelligence, um, how do you figure out with small businesses what they, their customer wants? I mean, we really just go out and ask. We use social media as a, as, a, as a key to engagement. We do a lot of lead gen and a lot of acquisition. And the acquisition at the beginning is really focused on driving conversation. We look at what they're purchasing. We adjust, you know, I mean, it's every piece of it, right? So if they're engaging with us in certain social channels, if certain pieces of content are resonating better than others, if SEO queries are driving more qualified leads, um, if certain email messages are more engaging than others, it's what are we saying that they're responding to? And, um, and you know, one big caution I have for a lot of my clients, cause I think it's an easy, it's an easy escape hatch that a lot of people mistakenly take is they go promotional. Well, what if we discount it? Mm. And I, and, uh, and I really caution, especially young brands to not discount, especially in the beginning, focus on your service, focus on maintaining a conversation with your customers. So they feel invested in you and your growth. But do not discount because then you've immediately told them you bought this and you were a sucker because you paid full price. Yeah. Oh. oh, that's such a good conversation that I have with so many people. Uh, and the, man, this is super valuable. We're running <laughs> low on time. So I want to talk real quick. What's the process of working with you? If I have, if I'm a CPG brand, you know, and looking to work with you, how does that work? So um, you go to my website, weareprescient.com, because we can see the future. <laughs> you go to weareprescient.com. We, uh, we cover three specific areas. We cover branding and awareness, everything from value proposition to influencer marketing. Um, E-commerce growth is another sort of focus area. And then strategic planning. Maybe you've got a great funnel. You just don't know where to go next from a product level. Um, and you request an audit. So we do a five-point audit. Um, we know that there are probably five things that you're doing wrong that we can identify immediately, especially because all small businesses kind of make the same mistakes at the beginning. Um, and we do that five point audit. We talk with you a little bit about it in a quick consultation. And then from there, we move on to, uh, to road mapping. Awesome. Awesome. And um, what, who, what's your favorite type of company to work with? Is there, is there a specific? We talked, I know not DVDs. <laughs> I actually love DVD marketing. It's just nobody else loves DVDs anymore. Um, <laughs> no, I've inadvertently found myself in a very sort of female entrepreneur niche, right? So I have food and wine clients. I have a lingerie client, a, a home furnishings client. It's not really where I expected because I worked a lot in horror movies when I was in entertainment. So horror movies was a very dude kind of audience. But yeah. After my Barbie days, I sort of ended up in a very girly space, which has been a lot of fun because the origin story. Um, that come out of female entrepreneurs are really, they're great to tell. It's a fun audience to tap. And um, we have a lot of research around millennial moms and, um, and millennial female marketing. Awesome. And what are you doing now to market your business? <laughs> it's so funny. You should ask. Literally, my website went live yesterday. Awesome. Which, you know, it's been a referral-based business up until this point. So I haven't had to do a lot of marketing. 
but um, but we've got some great uh, downloads and we're starting to market those out on LinkedIn. We're doing some targeted outreach um, and you know just sort of you know putting out some white papers and content and case studies, mostly through LinkedIn, just to just to see you know what what pain can we solve for people. Awesome, I love it. I love it. Deborah, you have been wonderful. So this much knowledge. I love it. I love it. I can keep talking about this forever. Uh, and if anyone wants to find you, we are prescient.com. There'll be links in the show notes. Just tap the picture or go to iongarlic.com and you'll be able to find the link to talk to Deborah. But I feel like that she's going to be super busy, so better talk to her soon. <laughs> Laura, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. It's been great. Have a great one. You too. That's it for the Garlic Marketing Show. If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow Ian Garlic on Facebook. <laughs>